Can they relate to it? Yeah, Stockholm Syndrome is basically, um, these people were held in a bank vault when these guys were robbing a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. And so when they finally were gotten, given their freedom after about six days of being held captive and being mistreated and having a gun to their head, instead of telling the cops, you know, lock these fuckers for up th forever if they ruin my life, they said, like, oh my God, you don't understand these people. They've been through a lot. They treated us really well. Please give them the most lightest sentence possible. And the psychologists are trying to figure out, like, why would you want to really give them the best sentence possible after they mistreated you and probably gave you PTSD? And so it ties into addiction, too. People, especially using heroin. I say I'm using heroin, right? And everyone around me is like, heroin's really bad. You know, it ruins lives. And that's, like, intellectually, like, that makes sense. Heroin does. But we keep doing that because, you know, one day heroin's going to treat us right. One day heroin's not going to give us those horrible withdrawals. One day we're going to use heroin successfully, you know, and get a wonderful degree and have a great job and make all kinds of money and live in a penthouse, right? And heroin's going to be part of that. And that's part of the illusion. That's part of that Stockholm Syndrome. That's a sick relationship. And usually when something beats you up and mistreats you, you're supposed to have this healthy aversion, like, move away from that. But many of us, you know, we say, well, it's going to get better. And constantly that wishful thinking. Is that making sense? All right, so we talked about Stockholm Syndrome. We discussed something else that was important too, didn't we? Yeah. Stages? Didn't we talk yeah, about... Stages. Yeah. Stages or something. So what do most people begin with the first time they get high? What's that first stage? I just... I want to get high. high. Right, yeah. <laughs> the want to. Say want to get high. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Caitlin calls me up, and we're in high school, and Caitlin's like, I got some really good weed. I'm like, that sounds cool, Caitlin. You want to smoke it? Sure. Let's go smoke some weed together, right? Because I want to. It's just fun. Mm -hmm. But now me and Caitlin have been smoking weed every day, you know? And then, you know, we run out of weed. And I'm like, wait a second. You know, I got a class, and I'm not going to be able to deal with this teacher without some weed. Caitlin, get me some shit. She's like, I don't know who to hook up with. we got to make some phone calls because now I need to get high. I went from I want to get high to I need to get high, right? Mm -hmm. But it gets worse. This is what happens when you become dependent, right? You can be abusing it and you need it. Many of us have used a drug that when we woke up in the morning didn't give us the ability to debate. Like, hey, do you want to use today or not, Jennifer? Your drug of choice said, hey, guess what you're doing today? You're going to get some Vicodin, right? Guess what you're doing today? You're going to get some heroin. And so now we have to get high. And that's not fun anymore, right? And all of a sudden we catch a case. Right? Some of us catch a case. Some, some of us do. Some of us don't. What does that mean? Uh, you get arrested. Oh, yeah. It's like street language, right? Yeah. Sounds cooler. <laughs> you get arrested and you have a court case. But catching a case like catching a cold, it just sounds cool. So you can catch a case, right? <laughs> and the probation department says what to you, Caitlin, about getting high? What do they say? What do they say to you about getting high? They say, you can, you can't, or what? I can't. I'm like, what? But I'm really good at it, though. And you tell me I can't do it? I mean, I can do it, but every right. time I do it, I just go back to jail. Right, so that's the game, right? They say, yeah. do you want to be in jail? And you're like, no. And they say, well, here's the deal. If you really don't want to be in jail, will you sign this document? Well, what's this document? It's called a probation document. And you sign it, and you promise not to get high. So you mean, I, I can't get high? No. And if we catch you getting high, we're going to put you in a cage. It's a little game that we play. Right? It's like the catch you getting high game, right? Anybody ever played that game before? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the problem with that game is what? It's like going to the casino, right? When you go to that game, it, it, the probation department has to be right how often? Once, right? And if you're going to get high in probation, you have to get, be right how many times? Every time, right? And so what are the odds? Who's, whose odds are these in the favor of? Right. That's why I recommend to people that are on probation, hey, please don't use drugs or alcohol because they only have to catch you one time. And they're crazy, right? They will put you in a cage for like really minor stuff. Then, maybe you go to some NA meetings, you talk to some people, you got a church program going on and someone talks to you and you say, no, I won't get high today. I can guarantee that for 24 hours, I'm not going to get high. That's how confident I am. I've broken this cycle. The urges and cravings are getting better. And I won't get high for 24 hours. I know that for sure. That's a pretty good place to be, right? Mm -hmm. The final goal is when you have a new sense of identity. 
and you can say to other people when they offer you drugs or alcohol, well, I don't get high anymore. That was who I used to be. I don't get high. So many of us go through this cycle all the time, right? We go through want to, need to. But once you kind of clear it into this have to get high, um, usually something has to happen that makes you figure out I can't get high. For example, I can't get high or go to jail. I can't get high or I'm going to die. My liver is failing me. I can't get high or I'm going to lose my kids. I can't get high or, right, I'm going to lose my job. And so most people that are honest with themselves about their change, um, some people in AA and NA will rewrite their history, and this new pretty history that, you know, one day I was minding my own business and sleeping, and I had this epiphany that alcohol was ruining my life, so I decided to go to AA every day for 90 days, you know, and then now I'm here to preach to you. I got five years sober, and when I sign your sheet, you know, it's kind of weird, like, you know, I think you have bad intentions. Of course, I was a pure of heart person. I came to AA of my own volition, right? And you're like, that's all bullshit. The story with you is that your wife told you, if you drink one more time, I will leave you. You broke down in tears, and she said, go to a fucking AA meeting or you're out of the house. And he's like, all right. And that's how the whole thing started. So people want to rewrite their histories. So be aware of that. Um, most people that change go to the I can't, then they go to I won't, and the goal is to be I don't. Is that making sense? Are any comments or questions so far? Jennifer, what do you think? Were you ever in any of those phases? Do you recall any of those yeah, phases? And actually, this time of year reminds me of this is like it's been almost a year. Wow. When, when, did you, when did you get your year sober? Well, it's in October. Yeah. But my birthday's in two weeks, and that's when the, that was my the intervention. So I'm like, is my birthday always going to remind me of intervention? Yeah. Yes, but, it will. Well, I don't know. Maybe not forever. Well, it does now because it's only been. But today is like 330 days. So yeah. I'm close to. Whatever. So when did you realize that you couldn't get high? When did you get to that can't phase? When I got so sick from not having drugs. Right. And I had to keep taking them. Okay. And you know what I was realizing today? I don't know why. I, sometimes I get emotional. I can't cry anymore. Like, really? Why can't I cry? I'm not on drugs. But okay. Uh, is that weird? No. I feel like it's weird. It's like it's stuck. I'm like, oh, come on. Come out. But no. It'll come out when it needs to. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel like for me, the can't stage was like when I wanted to get high more because then I was like, well, I can't get high, but, you know, now I can sneak around and try to get high. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're being told that you can't. Yeah. And so we like, get rebellious, right? We're like, you're not going to tell well, me what to I do. I just take ready clean. <laughs> yeah, right. Do this. This will work. Like, it don't work. It don't work. <laughs> it's crack, that's for sure. Yeah, but remember that. And that's you have to think like a one percent chance I'll get away with this, right? And that's always good enough when you're on probation, right? So then you give it a try. Mm -hmm. For anybody, even for non-rebellious people, it's difficult to have somebody get in your face and say you cannot do something. And you're an adult, you're like, this is kind of awkward, you know, <laughs> telling me what I can't do. And many of us have a little bit of these defiant tendencies, right? Mm -hmm. So when did you get to um, this confidence part right here, Jennifer? Because yeah. you were exposed to some drugs during this process. When did you get to this point <laughs> where you said, I don't get high? Because there was mushrooms being thrown at oh, you, man. marijuana, oh, powdered cocaine yeah. showed up. As yeah. I recall, some Percodans yeah. showed up one day. Lots, my boss, yeah. Yeah, all those some what? Some Percocet? No, Percocet. I thought you said like Percocet. Percocet are available too, but Percocet's are, yeah. Anything, some prescription painkillers. Yeah. my birthday choice. And they were sitting right behind me. I'm like, and she offered them to me. She has no idea. It's like, I have this job after I got a rehab. I'm like, what? She's got, I got so many. You want some? And you won't put them away. Why are they not in your purse? Why are they sitting there? Right. Every time I walk. And then when you're strung out, there's none to be She's found. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't know. I mean, yeah. she hurt herself and whatever. There's right. a reason for, for having so recently, a therapist read my book, right? And so, you know, I have a kind of a philosophy about fighting addiction. You guys might have heard this philosophy before. And she said to me, you know, I don't feel comfortable fighting. I don't feel comfortable um, fighting addiction. And I found out more about her story. She lost two of her children to overdoses. Both her son and her daughter died of heroin overdoses. And she goes, I can't, I can't understand why you want to fight addiction. Why don't you just leave it alone and just look for peace? And I got the email from her, and I kind of talked to her on the phone shortly for a brief time, and I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, it's like, it's so natural to me to want to say when, you know, somebody gets harmed that I care about, I want to lash out, right? 
and I don't know what it would feel like to lose two children to an overdose, right? But I can only, reckon, only understand, maybe she feels so overwhelmed that that fighting instinct is just gone. She goes, all I want is peace. I don't want to fight addiction. I don't want to talk about addiction. I don't want to deal with addiction. And so I was just trying to be supportive to her, and I go, that, maybe that'll work for you, but maybe there'll be a point in the future where you might choose to think differently. You know, I always say a woman's prerogative is to change your mind. In five years from now, you feel like maybe going to a Families Against Narcotics meeting or maybe, you know, making your voice heard at some kind of, you know, public forum to talk about what it did to your family. Maybe that's going to be appropriate. And so we're going to read about, you know, this gladiator concept. There was a guy that I met in N.A. He was a Marine. He did two, two years in combat duty in Afghanistan. And he came back from the Marines. He was getting high with his sister, and they were doing heroin together. And so they were hanging out together, and literally she, she died right next to him, right? And so he wakes up in the morning, and his sister is dead of a heroin overdose, and he's got to call his mom and call the police and go through this whole process. Well, he basically loses it, has a mental breakdown, goes to a mental hospital for seven days, gets out, goes to Brighton Hospital after that, and gets sober. So I met him and he about six months clean. And as he's telling me about his background, you know, he, he was talking really aggressively about addiction. I hate fucking addiction. If it was in this room, I'd kill it. And I go, well, aren't you Marines all trained killers? And he said, yeah. I go, you're formally trained to kill, right, with weapons and hand-to-hand, -hand, all that kind of stuff. You guys really do go out and kill. And he said, yeah. I go, so that same skill set that you had with the Marines, you're applying to addiction. He's like, right. And he showed me the tattoo on his arm that rests in peace memory of his sister. And he goes, I never want to get high ever again because that's how I'm going to kill addiction. So then my mind started going, like, wow, kill addiction, fight back. So then I put together this gladiator concept. So who wants to read the first page talking about who were the gladiators? Need a volunteer. Thank you, Danielle. Who were the gladiators? The Romans captured and recruited gladiators from all over the world. Every tribe, culture, and country contributed gladiators to the fight. In addition, women gladiators were also recruited and known to bravely engage in contests to the death. You guys aware of that? There was female gladiators, and they oftentimes defeated male gladiators in the Colosseum. It's important to highlight that. that. Would be me and you, Brad. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just <laughs> Most often, gladiators were slaves who were selected or requested an opportunity to train and live better lives. They realized that by training with other gladiators and experts, they would be able to hone their skills and become better warriors. They attended special gladiator schools where they lived, trained to exhaustion, and reached their full potential as warriors. If they fought well and won often enough, they, would, they could win their freedom. Today. Yeah, today. Today's recovery warriors are like ancient gladiators. Addiction enslaves people from all cultures, tribes, and countries. Is that true, by the way? Is that true? It's, it goes throughout the world, right? Everyone has addiction in every single country, every single culture, right? Okay. Often these addicts have lost contact with family and friends. Many have also lost hope. Accordingly, many addicts are even slain and disabled by addiction. Is that true? Does addiction kill people? Mm -hmm. All right. Those addicts who yearn to be free turn to treatment centers, other addicts, and experts to get help. If they train hard and learn well, they can earn their freedom. Remember, not all prison walls are made of brick and mortar. Yeah, that's deep. To face and fight addiction is to be valiant. Freedom from active addiction is a glorious thing. Welcome to Gladiator School. Alright, so you guys see the image on the other side? So here's a little background on that. So I, I volunteered at Eastwood Clinic. And there was a guy that came to Eastwood that did 20 years in prison straight. He never told us why he was in prison, but I'm going to tell you a little secret. If you do 20 years in Jackson straight, you didn't just, you know, spill somebody's cookies, right? You did some really bad shit. And so he's in Eastwood Clinic, and they're talking to him, trying to pep him up, telling him, you know, you can be sober, you can do this. And he's in group talking. He's a really honest guy. He goes, you got to understand something. He goes, I'm institutionalized. He goes, I can never function outside of a place like this or a mental hospital, or a prison. And the therapist was a complete genius. He goes, who told you that you were institutionalized? He goes, well, the guards did. He goes, well, they're wrong. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I'm saying that you're not institutionalized, and that's some bullshit that they fed you to make you believe you can never go anywhere else. He goes, really? He goes, yeah. In fact, I believe that you're no longer ever going to be in an institution ever again. 
Now, this might not sound really groundbreaking to you guys, but in his mind, he had never heard anybody tell him that he wasn't coming back again, right? And so he was a very talented artist. So I said, hey, man, you know how to draw really good? He's like, yeah. I go, I got this idea for a drawing. I go, will you draw it for me? So he did this original drawing in pencil on a big um, piece of uh, cardboard. So you guys are probably wondering, like, the AA and NA logo, everyone knows about honesty in the AA program, NA program, H-O-W, how the program works, how do you get sober, honesty is the first step, second step is open-mindedness, and third step is willingness, right? Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> there was a story, this kid goes to Brighton Hospital, and it's the second time there in a month, right? And all the therapists go, you got to talk to this kid, he's in really bad shape, he just overdosed, he almost died, we're really worried about losing this kid, he's got a really shitty attitude doesn't want to go to means, doesn't want to do anything, right? So I'm talking to this kid, he's an ethnic kid, and I said, well, what happened? You left Brighton Hospital about 30 days ago. I go, what was going on? He goes, well, I'm on probation. I got a misdemeanor probation and a felony probation, and I've been in and out of rehabs for the last, like, year. And so I got out of rehab this time. I was really serious about being sober. The day I get out, I tell my parents, I have to go to an NA meeting. It's part of my aftercare program. I want to go to an NA meeting. And my parents tell me, we don't give a fuck about where you have to go. You can't have the car. We're not going to drive you anywhere. We're done with you. So the kid begins to find out where's the closest meeting. There's an AA meeting only about a mile from his house, right? So he walks to this AA meeting, right? Goes to the AA meeting. He's got his sheet in his hand. He needs to get signed because he's in court. And he sits down at an AA table. Everyone at AA goes, you know, I'm so-and-so. I'm an alcoholic. I'm so-and-so. I'm an alcoholic. And they, he was called on about the fourth person. He goes, you know, my name's uh, John, and I'm a heroin addict. And the leader of the AA table goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, young man, you can't be here. Now, here's a chance for other people to be a hero. Does anybody know what the criteria is to go to an AA meeting? What's the requirement? Right. That's the only thing, right? Now, do some people go to AA that are not sure they're alcoholics or not? Right? All day long. A lot of people go to AA for their first time and even say, I'm coming to my first AA meeting to learn more about alcoholism. I'm not sure if I'm an alcoholic. So what they should have said to the young man is, do you have a desire to not drink? And if he would have said, yeah, then you need to sit down. And instead, everyone didn't say anything. And the guy goes, you have to leave and go to an NA meeting. So the kid leaves the meeting, begins to cry. And who do you think he calls? Oh, man. Don't man. And he meets him up at McDonald's, and he shoots up in the bathroom, and he overdoses, and he almost dies. So, that's when I got pretty fucking fed up. So you'll see the AA and NA logo together. And some people at Eastwood <coughs> Clinic, when they used to hang downstairs at Eastwood, would complain about this. You can't use the AA and NA logo. It's a piece of art, man. Trademark infringement. I don't care. Educational purposes. I'm, I'm walking through that gray area. You follow what I'm saying? And so I put it together on purpose because... What's the requirement to go to NA? A desire to stop using drugs. What's the requirement to go to AA? Desire to stop using alcohol. Yeah, guess what? Many of us should be able to go wherever we want to go. And some really sick people prevent that from happening. And a lot of people are cross-addicted. Exactly. And alcohol is a drug as well. Thank you. Yeah. So be aware of that. Next time you see somebody trying to be real dynamic. In fact, as far as I know, most of the people that I know that go to AA have extensive drug abuse histories as well. That's being honest, right? So this kid literally almost died because someone decided to be an asshole and prevent them from getting help. And that wasn't cool, so we got inspired to make this. And it shouldn't really matter because they both help with coping with addiction. Exactly right. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's really the same thing. Yeah. And that's so. why a lot of people get really angry when they see this together. And I really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm trying to bring people together. I'm not trying to be divisive. Look, being divisive doesn't require any intelligence or cleverness. You can just be mean and be divisive. It takes a great deal of sophistication to bring people together and find that common ground. The common ground is what we're talking about. It's about addiction. Yeah. It's alcohol is a drug. When people are honest about that stuff, they realize that we're all the same in that way. We should be able to go wherever we feel comfortable. Some people that have heroin addiction prefer to go to AA. It's true. Some people that have a real alcohol issue but had some pot smoking going on feel comfortable with N.A. people. I'm fine with it all day long. Is it making sense? Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Let's go around and introduce ourselves. If you have a drug of choice, please mention what it is, and please mention your clean time as well, and give us a highlight from the week. Pete, you want to go ahead? Yeah, I'm Pete, alcohol. Uh, 
Eight months this week of clean time. Yeah, fantastic, Pete. Well done. Give us a highlight, man. I had two days in a row off from work this week. I know my highlight's been getting a lot of hours at work lately, but now it's getting some R&R time, too. All right. Good for you. Glad you're here. You said R&R time? Mm-hmm. Rest of my life. Why was R&R stand for you? <laughs> R&R is liquor. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, bro. <laughs> He's not drinking. Oh, my God. That's the first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> I don't even drink, but, like, yeah. yeah. All right. Honor guest, you want to say hi? Yeah. Hi. I'm Kelly, and um, alcohol is my drug of choice, or was, and... I think it's a little too early in the week yet for me to determine the highlight. That's fine. Uh, Last week's highlight? My husband brought home dinners. I didn't yeah, think it's a highlight, yeah. In your clean time? How are you been uh, sober for? July 31st. Fantastic. Yeah. Well done. Glad you're here. Zach, what's happening? What's up, man? Uh, I'm Zach. Heroin and crack. Okay. Uh, I don't have any highlights, man. I had court yesterday. How'd court go? Um, the judge really did not want to drop my one felony down to a misdemeanor. Okay. But the prosecutor kind of helped out, and, like, <clears throat> my lawyer waived the 14-day rule, so now I have another one on October 6th at that court. Okay. And uh, the prosecutor said, like, if he gets the exam, like, completely finished, then she won't really have, like, much say in it, you know? Okay. So I should still be getting that. It just kind of sucked that she was, like, really against it. All right. Your thoughts on that? I don't want, right. I don't want that many felonies. Right. <laughs> you get the highest status on your sentencing? Uh, well, if it, if it gets down to a misdemeanor, <clears throat> height is not for misdemeanors, I don't think. Right. So. You won't need it for a misdemeanor. Yeah, exactly. But, um, no, uh, my next court date at circuit for the other felony is, uh, like October 21st. Right. That's when I'll find out about the height of. Okay. So. So you're coming in prepared though, right? Yeah, yeah. I got all that stuff. I brought it in there, but uh, she didn't really ask for anything since I just like waited the 14-day rule and stuff. and just. But you are prepared. Yeah, I'm prepared. Yeah. But if I do get a drop down to misdemeanor, I'll be on probation out here and then felony probation out there. Yeah. And then just hopefully the other thing doesn't come up. What other thing? The other felony that's in the prosecutor's office. All right, so have them wrap it up together. Well, it's still, it hasn't, the warrant hasn't came out yet. Okay. Why don't they run it, like, concurrent yeah. through, like, one court? Well, they would. If the other one stays a felony, then they're going to run it through one court. But misdemeanors don't go up the circuit. Right. So. It goes in the city area. How'd we get there, Zach? We were minding our own business doing pretty good. How'd we end up all these court cases? <laughs> what do you mean I was doing pretty good? There was one point you were doing pretty good. Honest to God, there was one point where you were doing pretty good. What was that? You're kidding, right? No. When we were working on just dealing with weed. I wasn't just smoking weed then. There was one point that you were smoking weed. Oh, well, yeah. Right, and then how do we get back into that really bad stuff? What happened? I don't know, man. I was selling drugs and just had money. All right. I don't know, man. I don't know. I just wanted <laughs> just to get high. Right, All right. But my point is, where are you at on this scale now today? Now? Yeah. You can um, be honest. Are you at maybe I can't or I won't or I don't? I'm for sure. I'm I'm for sure. I'm at won't. But like, still like, if someone's around me with some shit, which is very rarely, right? You know, that usually doesn't happen. I just say I don't. You know, tell them I'm feeling good being clean. Right. You know, just I just avoid those people. So me I haven't too. really been in the don't situation that much yet. Right. Just, you know. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here, man. Yeah. How about you? Patricia. Forty-something days sober. Fantastic, Trisha. Well done. Highlight of the week is I started working. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, sure. What? Yeah. Last time you worked was how long ago? Like two months ago. All right. So you're back on track again. All right. Glad you're here. How about you? Uh, my name is Rachel. I have a choice of heroin. I've been clean for almost five months now. Good for you, Rachel. Well done. I guess I had a really good weekend. I went out to uh, Lake St. Helens. Nice. Saw my friend Justin. Okay. Yeah. All right. How's your court stuff going? Um, I go to court Friday. Okay. I don't know what's going to happen. But what are we dealing with? Is it a probation violation? 
Yeah, but she already sentenced me to, like, 93 days and then, um, suspend my jail time upon completion of Grace Centers of Hope. And then Grace Centers of Hope made me leave when yeah. I was pregnant because of my appointment. Right. So, my lawyer's trying to get a hold of them to either make them write me a letter for court or that, or else they're going to have to come to court. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yeah. They let you down. It wasn't fair what they did to you over there. Yeah, it yeah. really wasn't. Yeah. So how does it feel being sober? How does it feel to be away from heroin? Really good. Good. Yeah. Where are you at, you think, on this scale here, in your opinion? Um, probably can't and won't. All right. And don't. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you can wrap them up. Maybe on one day you feel like you're in the can't phase. Maybe another day when you're feeling really strong, you're in the don't phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What is it about heroin in particular in court cases? Why do they seem to go hand in hand? More so than any other drug that I hear about. What is it about this heroin? Man, where do I start? You can start wherever you want to start. Start at the beginning. Just reckless. Man. I don't know. You know you don't got no money in your pocket? The heroin's cheap, Zach. It's only $10 a pack. Yeah, Anybody but that can... Wait a second, what I do you mean? I actually never got, like, charged with anything to do with heroin, though. I got, like, a possession of paraphernalia for having a bowl on me. Right. But did you do illegal so, things for heroin before? What do you mean? Like, rob someone. Or, like, steal anything? No. No, man. Yeah. So. <laughs> or yet. Remember. Right? Yeah. Yet as an acronym means you're eligible, too. So many people don't get caught when they're beginning with heroin, right? You're still pretty yeah. young. How old are you now? 19. Right, so you're young. And so I can imagine if you were to keep using heroin over a period of time, you might end up catching a court case, right? Yeah. 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 I'm more needing to, like, do something to, like, get money before I get sick, knowing I'm going to be sick. Yeah. Because once I'm sick, like, it's like, all right, this is how sick I am. You know, right. but when you're not sick, it's just like, Every minute, it's like, oh, get a little bit sicker, you know, mm -hmm. I've got to hurry up, got to go do something. Yeah. What I was pointing out was that heroin begins at $10 a pack, right? We all know that. But it has a tolerance that begins to kick in. And so all of a sudden, now we're doing $20 a day. Now we're doing $40 a day. And before you know it, you're doing $100 a day or $200 a day. And all of a sudden, you got tears in your eyes trying to figure out, well, how am I going to make this money? What am I going to do? It's a very uncomfortable place to be. Right? And it used to be, honestly, that heroin wasn't as easily available and as prevalent as it is today. I mean, the, the proof is that when dealers are giving away free samples down in the hood, that's telling you that it's that plentiful down there, it's that competitive down there, they're going to give you a free pack. And so 25% of people that try heroin just one time become completely physically addicted. That's pretty amazing if you think about it, right? So it really does ruin lives and it ruins dreams and it kills people. It's a really mean-spirited drug. And Zach, hopefully you agree with that. Yeah, man. Right? Yeah. And some people, even their quote to me is, heroin is the <laughs> devil. I've heard that many times over and over yeah. again. So, it's a good place to be, Rachel. And not having any felonies on your record is a great place to be. Yeah. Someone actually posted on Facebook, they had a list of places that accept people <laughs> with felony convictions on there. I'm always suspicious, right? So I'm looking at this, and it's got McDonald's and Wendy's, and it's got, you know, like major corporations, and it's got Delphi and Vistion. I'm like, huh? Yeah. And it was complete like bullshit. No, it was, it was all bullshit. People went through there. It actually would cite on the line where it says, no, no felony conviction to apply for this job, right? And so some bullshit people put out there that anybody can get a job with a felony conviction. That's it not true. It depends on the felony. Yeah, too. it does. Mm -hmm. Exactly like the true. Violent charges, yeah. you're like, mm -hmm. you got no chance. So in, in Michigan, it's kind of interesting. Everybody that gets arrested from zero to 25 grams of anything gets a felony charge, even though the police can actually charge you with drug usage, which is a misdemeanor. So everyone starts off from the gate, because other states, you have to have like one gram of something for it to be a felony. You know that, right? Las Vegas, cocaine, you have to have a certain amount of cocaine for it to be a felony, otherwise it's a misdemeanor. But Michigan, which means if they can scrape it off a mirror, that's mm -hmm. 0 to 25, that's a felony charge. So yeah, they can scrape your little path. Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, and so it's not a fair place to start. So now we have all these people with felony convictions they got when they were 18, 19, 20, 21, right? They're trying to get legitimate jobs. They get their lives in order. They stop taking drugs, right? They even get a little bit of a college degree or something. They go to apply and like, I can't hire you. You have a felony conviction. But I've completely turned my life around. 
And so they kind of create a very difficult scenario for recovering people. And people like Danielle and I, we want to fight against that kind of stuff. It shouldn't always be felonies being handed out like candy to everybody. Those felonies have lifelong impacts on people. I never got caught with cocaine. I got caught with paraphernalia both times, and I have two possession of cocaine charges. Yeah. For the paraphernalia from the cocaine? Mm-hmm. Oh, like a crack. Yeah, because the law's written set 0 to 25, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's up it down. is. So they create this class of people that can't get the good jobs, that can't get the incomes to you know, take care of a family. And they say, and oh, by the way, now that you're impoverished, please don't get high. Yeah, or hardly any job, really. Yeah. Right. What are we going to do about that? Well, we're trying to make it so these police officers are going to charge people with misdemeanor possession charges, which means misdemeanor usage instead of a possession charge. So if you're caught with heroin, you're Pretty using nice it, animals. right? They were nice families. Yeah. They don't seem to be nice to most people, though. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. All right. Glad you're here. How about you? I'm Caitlin. Um, I'm a heroin and a crackhead. Um, my highlight today, I actually got two jobs that I really wanted. Fantastic. You get a pause for that. Yeah. Good um, for you. And I got my own apartment like mm -hmm. five days ago. And I've been on the Vivitrol shop for like a month now, so I feel like freaking awesome. So I tell me about the Vivitrol shop, what that is and what it does for people. Um, well, it's naltrexone. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of like naltrexone pills or anything like that. Mm -hmm. but, um, it's the antidote to an overdose on um, heroin or oxycotton, right? right? basically. Yeah, it like, blocks it. And if you try to get high, you're not going to get sick. It's not like an abuse necessarily. Exactly. It also is for alcohol as well, so you can't drink on it either. But yeah. like it helps with the cravings a lot. Because mm -hmm. I've tried Suboxone. I've tried just the naltrexone pills. But mm -hmm. I know I'm like the type of addict that is like, wake up in the morning, well, I want to get high today, so I'm just not going to take it. Right. So that's why I like it, because it lasts for 30 days. Mm -hmm. And it helps with the cravings, so you literally like have no desire to use. Like I don't wake up in the morning and look for my fucking needle. Right. You know, like... You get peace of mind. Yeah. That, that debate, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder arguing back and forth, right. should I, should I not, it's gone. Right. The ambivalence is gone. Yeah. So how did you hear about this drug? You. Yeah. <laughs> you went to rehab, right? Did they mention it to you? Nope. That's so fucking I interesting. I told everyone about it in rehab, too. Yeah. Do they mention Suboxone in rehab? Yes. Methadone in rehab. Methadone, all that. And wow. Like, everyone I know that's been on that shit has like been way more miserable than they've been on heroin. Isn't that amazing? So we have a nice little side note. You guys know the, van the manufacturer of Vivitrol, right? They're making this wonderful drug that saves lives and has these really high rates of people being successful getting off of heroin, right? Does anyone know what Zohydro is? Oh, you're going to know all about this pretty soon. Oh, this is the new Vicodin. It's going to be equivalent to 10 Vicodin pills. Oh, yes. Yeah. The heroin pill? Yeah, and it's got no acetaminophen, no aspirin in it, right? And you can crush it up, and you can and snort someone's it. Someone's going to figure out how to oh. it. No, it gets better. No, no, let me tell you a little secret. So listen, there's a thing called the FDA. You might have heard of the FDA, right? And supposedly, what these people are supposed to do is look out for your best interests, right? Yeah, right? And so the panel of 12 doctors on the FDA, and the manufacturers of Zohydro said, hey, we got this really good idea. Um, Vicodin is you know, causing some people problems, it's damaging their liver. So we want to manufacture this new Vicodin. It's pure hydrocodone with no acetaminophen and no aspirin in it. And we want to make it available to pain patients. And the 12 doctors on the panel of the FDA said what? Yeah. You lost your motherfucking oh. mind. We're not going to approve this at all. And they said, well, what? tell you what, so hydro guys. We'll consider it, if you add the gelling agent, you guys know that Oxycontin right now has the gelling agent to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you try to crush up some Oxycontin and put it up your nose, it's going to be a very bad experience. Mm -hmm. It's going to turn into jello up in your nose. If you try to draw it in a syringe, you right, you can't shoot it at all, right? Now, they've been asking Oxycontin guys, the uh, Purdue Pharma, to do that. And they said, we're working on it, we're working on it. For 14 years, they worked on it and finally got it right. Isn't that amazing? Even though they've been doing the same thing with gelling drugs with morphine for over 50 years. So, Oxycontin then changes their formula and adds this gelling agent. And what happened to Oxycontin sales that month? How much, though? Take a guess. A lot. 40%. Now, that's just from Blue Cross and Blue Shield. That means legitimate Blue Cross and Blue Shield doctors that were dispensing Oxycontin, 40% of people said, 
I don't want it anymore. <laughs> Which means that 40% of Blue Cross and Blue Shield prescriptions were fraudulent and for drug abuse. Uh -huh. By the way, Opanis went up that month. Opanis went right. up that month. Right. So they said, okay, so Hydro, here's the deal. If you add that gelling agent to your drug, we might consider approving it. And they said, yeah, we're going to do that, but it'll try to take about 14 years. <laughs> right? And so here's what gets really fun about the story. Guess who manufactures Vivitrol? The same company oh. that manufactures Zohydro. So as soon as you pick up your Zohydro habit and you have tears in your eyes and you can't stop taking it, you can go to Brighton Hospital and they'll detox you and then you can go on Vivitrol oh to get off the Zohydro. I'm not even making this shit up. See how it got approved, though, without the... Oh, so the, the head of the FDA overrode the doctors and approved it. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When? when it's going to come out next month. That's ridiculous, because when I was in jail, I was watching the news, and they were talking about how um, the death rate from, like, prescription and drugs, mainly, like, just opiates... Mm -hmm went up like 80% of the deaths were from prescription drugs yeah. and then the other 20% was from heroin. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So for the first time in American history, we have more people dying from prescription drug overdoses than all illegal drugs combined. Yeah. Which means the worst drug dealers in our communities now have medical degrees. Yeah, they're done. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's amazing like though. that for a while now though. Yeah. Does anybody know a drug dealer, a known one in the past? Okay. All right. Did any of them ever swear an oath to do no harm? I'm just curious if you have a drug dealer that swore an oath to do no harm. What do you mean? Well, here's a secret. All doctors swear an oath to do no harm as part of their medical licensing oh, procedure, yeah. right? And so I find it very interesting. It's a very honest relationship with a drug dealer. Like, here, buy my drugs. Don't die. Come back and get some more. It's almost honest in a weird right. way. Whereas the medical doctor has this bunch of shit on his wall, a great education, and says, I will do no harm. And I'm going to put you on some hydro, right? It's supposed to help you, yeah. is what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And I'll put you on some Adderall because you can't focus right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're having a little bit of difficulty with your anxiety? We're going to give you some Xanax. Oh, your legs are restless? We're going to give you some drugs for some restless legs. Oh, you can't sleep? We're going to give you some Ambien. Or give you the drugs for the symptoms, for yeah. the other drugs, mm -hmm. the, like just... All these different yeah. drugs. Yeah. So I always say this to people, and doctors get really angry at me. Doctors are no longer your allies. You have to look out for them because they basically are owned by the pharmaceutical industry. They don't work for people anymore. They work for profits, and so you have to advocate for yourself. Is that making sense? Yeah. All right. Caitlin, I'm glad you're here. Caitlin's father uh, was a very close friend of mine, and I can't tell you how happy I am to see her clean and sober right now. Like, I'm over the fucking moon right now. <laughs> Thank you for being here. You made my day. I was happy I got to see you. Yeah, I know. I'm I fully aware of it. Face, I know. Coming. This is fantastic. Can I share a little bit more about that story or, or not? No, I don't care. So, Caitlin's father um, died of a heroin overdose. Mm -hmm. And Caitlin's father's father died of a heroin overdose. Oh. And when I first met Caitlin, I said, there's no fucking way you're going to die of a heroin overdose on my watch. <coughs> it's not fucking happening. And you're going to be sober and you're going to be a wonderful, wonderful success story. That's your prophecy. So glad you're here. Are you Danielle. No, I'm from Troy. Danielle, honored guest. Hello, my name is Danielle. My drug of choice is heroin. I have eight years old. Fantastic, Danielle. So where are you at on the scale over here? Just out of curiosity. I don't use drugs. Really? That's a good place to be. How did how did you get there? What was involved to get to that point? Okay. So, what did you find that worked though? What is your method? Like, how did you achieve your sobriety? Okay. Did you go to meetings? Yes. Okay. Do you have to go to any meetings that you didn't want to go to? Yeah. Do any step work you didn't want to do that day? Yeah. Did you maybe make one extra phone call you didn't want to actually make, but you just kind of went out of the way to make that one more phone call? Yeah. Interesting. So. A wonderful success story like you with a master's degree in social work and therapy did a lot of things that you didn't want to do to get to where you're at today. I'm still doing it. Remarkable. Want to tell them what you do for a living? No. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Danielle is awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She has a very high success rate and helps a lot of people. We are getting ready to start an opiate-specific program. Okay. It's like a transitional program. There'll be a limited number of beds, but the United Vivitrol is going to be part of that program. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. That's just awesome. Yes. Yeah. All right. you here. Want to give us a highlight, too, or you want to just... Yeah. Um, so, my daughter... Seven and eight, mm -hmm. and they're in Tapple cheerleading. So what? Yeah, what is that? Tapple cheerleading. What you is know, that? I live in the country. Okay. <laughs> so those kids out there take their sports real serious. Okay, right. <laughs> so like seven, eight years old, I used to cheerlead. Uh huh. It's like competitive cheer. Really? At that <laughs> age? Yes. Or right, is that safe? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so were you in Tapple? I thought you no. Tackle chili. So honestly, these kind of programs are like overseen by like high schoolers. Okay. So you know they come and they work with the girls and they start doing stunts. So the coach um, had some personal stuff going on this week, so I coached. Good for you. How did it feel? It was fun. Good for you. It actually, yeah. it gave me a whole new insight for those people that work with those kids. Right. So you give them some props now for that? Oh, yeah. I'm like, wow, you take my kids that many <laughs> times during the week? I'm like, oh, because they're seven or eight. Yeah. Like, That's great. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. Glad you're here. Yeah. Jennifer, how about you? Uh, I'm good. My name's Jennifer, and Vicodin um, is my drug of choice, and I've been sober for like, like yeah, that's so fantastic. So proud of you, Jennifer. That's great. And um, I haven't been here in a while. Yeah. Last week I went and saw the Tigers and they won. Yeah, that's and, good. Uh, oh, and I moved into my apartment like two weeks ago. So how's the apartment? How do you feel being in there? I, well, that first week actually I was weird. I wanted to smoke and drink and do drugs. Honestly? <laughs> yes. All at, well, at first I wanted to smoke. Okay. And then it turned into everything else. Right. It was just weird because... I was alone. You know, I was so excited to get it. Yeah. Just, oh, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do. Yeah. So I have, um, I don't have a, I have a Pandora on my phone. So okay. Without a speaker, so, you know. Wow. Whatever. So I have to listen to music, and then it makes me feel better where I, you know, but now, and then, you know, and I didn't sleep, and I'm just, everything's always weird with me. No, it's, it's a big change, right? Yes. Yeah. My parents still haven't left. They're leaving in two weeks. Okay. Their house yeah, you're gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, oh, then there's a bug factor. I don't know what to do when the, bu the bug came out of the drain. I'm like, oh my god, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? It's gonna end up in my bed. I can't. I don't have no one to call. That's maintenance's job, isn't it? Well, I don't know where he is, but my friend found something online. So he needs this. What is it? Oh, it's the bug vacuum. It's a two. Uh huh. And there's a button. It sucks it up. <laughs> You gotta have that bug vacuum. I agree. <laughs> Only solution to that problem. Well, it makes you feel comfortable. You got a bug vacuum. No, I didn't get it. You didn't. Oh, you gotta get it. All right. Well, I, I think you're gonna be safe after. Look, my philosophy after all this shit you've been through, I don't think a bug is gonna take you over. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the smoking, and drinking, and drugs could. Yeah, right. So the good thing I have some music on my phone. What about a TV or a computer? I have a TV. I bought cable. And? Sometimes cable, sometimes too much TV makes me feel weird. I'm like, I can't watch TV all day. I feel gross. Okay. So I can only watch TV at when it's dark out, right before bed, like an hour. That's all right, it. that's I'm interesting. I'm spending all this money on cable, but I can only watch it then. Okay. So the rest of the time, well, sometimes I'll walk around because it's not a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You know I mean? All right, that's good. Glad you're here. All right, thanks. Honored guest, Jordan. How you doing, man? Jordan and my drug of choice was pot and alcohol all day sober. Fantastic, Jordan. I learned the week was not going to jail. Yeah, tell us about that. How that happened? Anybody help you or assist you? Yes, Rod. That's so interesting. Maybe even one time before that, did somebody ever help you or assist you? Yeah, Rod. Yeah. Do I ever say something to you about how I feel about you being in jail? What do I say about that? I don't deserve to be in jail. And I want you in jail. Yeah. Everything possible. We're a team, though. And this team will only be as strong as its weakest link. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I went in uh, 
I went into probation actually, and they were telling me that um, the recommendation had already been made. I was supposed to go back to the courtroom, and I was just like, well, I thought I was supposed to, you know, speak with the probation officer. You know, I, I have yeah. all stuff here I'd like to show them. And they're like, upstairs. So I was like, so luckily I was with my mom. Mm -hmm. and she, uh, you know, I mean, it kind of sucks. I'm 27 years old, and my mom had to Yeah, but your mom. mom's a social worker therapist, yeah, though. No, she knows she how to talk and advocate. She went the city attorney. The city attorney said go take the stuff to the court officer. Court officer went to the judge's chambers, gave them uh, a certificate of the education program that you completed. Drug abuse and uh, written relapse pre uh, prevention plan. Right. And um, all the letters from my parents, my girlfriend, and my yeah. best friend who showed up to mm -hmm. support me. And the judge asked uh, my mom to come up. She came up. She, uh, she She's really dramatic, so she just kind of like looked at me. And the judge was like, anything you want to say? And she just gave me a look and she said, well, my son's an idiot, first of all. <laughs> oh, my but, but she said, his father and I are willing to back him up one last time. We know when he's serious, and he's really serious about getting through it this time. So, going to A and meetings, coming to see Mirage, hoping to get through and uh, commit to 18 months. Yeah, let's knock this yeah. out. So, Jordan, tell us about drugs and alcohol and your future. I mean, you have all this potential, all this ability, right? Mm -hmm. Are we going to turn this around now? I mean, I, I want to. Well, then you're going to. You can make that happen. You've already done the important stuff. And imagine if you would have gone in there and not prepared. What would have happened? Be honest. I'd probably have gone right to jail. Yeah. You know, just saying, like, oh, I won't do it again. Right. And then... Uh, there's actually a sheet. They gave me the right. little probation sheet, and it's crossed out, and it says 30 days. Right. Let's be honest. Let's say that you and I did not meet. We didn't put a plan together. Your mom didn't show up. They gave you 30 days in jail. Let's just be honest, brutally honest. When you got out, what would you have likely have done after having dealt with all that bullshit, ate shitty food, been uncomfortable, dealing with failed criminals and, cr and failed drug addicts all day long, talking shit all day long, what would you probably have done? Grab the 24 pack or uh, got yeah. some, you know, ounce of weed and just spent the next week. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have gotten any therapy in there. You wouldn't have gotten any education program in there. No, no. Not at all. So what's your interpretation of this from a spiritual perspective? When a person should have done 30 days in jail, and that same person finds out all these people that care about them, that come out of the woodwork in this crisis time, what does that mean for that person spiritually? Um, I'm either spiritually ready. I don't know. How about it's time for a change? Yeah. You really find out who your friends are when you're in a courtroom. Mm -hmm. People have, we have a lot of friends, right? And you actually got to go to court. Who writes you those character letters? Who really cares about you when all that shit is gone, right? It's amazing when you find out who your true friends and allies are in that moment, right? Yeah, because the, you know, the people I used to use drugs with, like, they haven't hit me up at all. Right. Amazing. I call it the probation filter. Take everybody that you know before you get arrested and pour them through a big coffee filter. All the bullshit people get removed. All the good people come through that filter. Mm -hmm. They're there in court. They're there writing you those letters. So you identify that. You know, loyalty should be rewarded with loyalty. And so your mom wants you to be sober. She kept you out of jail. Just out of loyalty, give her that until the court case is resolved. And if you like the results, keep doing it. That's logical, right? Yeah. All right. Glad you're here and glad you're free. All right. How about you? Um, my name is Elizabeth. And my drug choice would be like alcohol, weed, prescription pills, all that. Okay. Um, what was the next question? You got any sober time you want to talk about? Uh, you be honest. No, not really. That's okay. Well, um, give us a highlight. Last week, anything good has been happening? Uh, well, I have an interview for next week. Good. And that's about it. All right. I'm glad you're here. All right. Thanks, everybody, for sharing. And we're going to do our next handout. We're going to learn about intelligence over emotions. This applies to more than just alcohol or drugs, right? How people make good decisions. If I tell you guys that alcohol is an intoxicant, you guys will believe me, right? Yeah. So if you drink alcohol, it can impair your ability to make a good decision, right? Yes. Can anger be an intoxicant? Yes. So if I get angry enough, I might make a really stupid decision I'm going to regret later on. Is that true? What about anxiety? Could anxiety be an intoxicant? If I have enough anxiety, I might make a bad decision. So we notice that some of these really strong negative emotions like depression and anxiety and anger can actually have an intoxicating effect and prevent you from making a good decision. So we have this concept of using our intelligence over our emotions.
Yes. I've done this before. Yeah, this is very effective. Who wants to read the first page? You know, volunteer, understanding intelligence over emotions. Zach, you want to volunteer? I'm Well, I mean, you don't have to be. You want to? I'll do it, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. This one? Yep. Do the E over I, though, first. E over This page. They both got O. There you go. E over I. Yep. There's a difference. Many people. Right. Understanding intelligence over emotions. Many people live life operating from a drive that allows their emotions to overrule their intelligence. People dealing with addiction... Rebelliousness. Anger and bad childhoods are vulnerable to this way of being. When your emotions override your intelligence, you are prone to make making poor decisions that sadly may result in severe consequences. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And severe meaning what? Like you can go to jail, you can break up with someone you really care about, stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. How about the next paragraph? People that are unsuccessful in life are like a checkers player, thinking just one move ahead. They tend to not think about the impact of their decisions. Ten hours from now, ten days from now, ten months from now, yeah, and even ten years from now. Okay. They don't process... Cognitively. Why do you put big words in here? I'm just having fun, man. Via <laughs> <laughs> benefits and liabilities, and don't insightfully weigh the, out the options. They engage in E over I, or emotions over intelligence. So, Zach, describe that emoticon right there. Is that a good one or a bad one? Well, he, he's crying, man. So. <laughs> I try to find the most, like, saddest of all the emoticons, right? So hopefully this one is, like, like you know, sadness on a what 10. What are the thingies that are coming out of his head, though? That's, like, uh, so much sadness is coming out of his head. Like, those are, like, yeah. Sadness is coming out of his head. like a sad puppy dog. Right, yeah. What, is he an alien? Yeah, right? All right, so that's what not to do, right? That's bad, right? Okay, how about the next paragraph there, Zach? People that are very successful in life and have happy relationships, make more money, have less stress, and reach and achieve goals function in the opposite way. They tend to uh, they tend to operate from a drive that provides them with the vision to see their decisions and its long term outcome. Ten hours from now, ten months from now, from now, etc. Yep. This method utilizes their Dude, I keep messing up. That. You're fine, I, man. I, I Take could, your I time. Read that. I just keep like getting back on the line I already read. This method utilizes the <laughs> intelligence to override their emotions. When your intelligence is in control of your emotions, you are prone to making good decisions that result in a positive outcome. Does that make sense? Okay. There's an example about this. Think about a, a horse in a carriage, right? And so think about the carriage is your body, right? And then the horses are your emotions. And the reins are your mind. So you're supposed to use your mind to guide your emotions in a direction. You don't take the emotions away. You're always going to feel something. You can feel happy. You can feel sad. You can feel anxious. You can feel depressed. But your mind goes, all right, we don't want to go in that direction. We're going to go in this direction. And you can kind of guide your emotions that way. Is that making sense? So your mind is your intellect overriding the emotions and guiding those emotional horses in the direction that's going to allow you to be successful. Right, how about that next paragraph? As people mature, become spiritual, stay sober, and being to uh, and begin to reason better, they can adapt their worldview and operate to include long-term consequences. Then they can begin to better understand the need to delay a decision, evaluate a decision in detail, or find additional information prior to making a decision. Yeah, that makes sense. Taking your time, right? Figuring stuff out, getting more information, asking other people to have information that can help guide you, right? How about the last paragraph there? People that are success, uh, successful in life are like a top-notch chess player, thinking two, three, maybe even four moves ahead. They process... Cognitively? Why you gotta look at me? No, I'm just having fun, man. <laughs> Via benefits and liabilities, and they think things through. They engage in I over E, or intelligence over emotion. Right, is that making sense? Look at that emoticon, though. Look at that. Look how happy that is. That's like happiness on blast, right? Blessed, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, who wants to read this back page here? I think Trisha does, man. Trisha, all right, cool. Trisha, come on. No, thanks. You sure? I'm okay. I'll read it. Okay, right. yeah. Go ahead. Jordan, go ahead. Allow us to illustrate this using two paradigms in an interesting story. Go ahead. Mike is 10 days clean. Jordan is 10 days clean. I'm sorry, did I say it out loud? Michael Jordan is 10 days clean and decides to go to a local bar. And, and not drink. drink. Yeah, good, good. He meets up with some trusted sober friends and gets a cranberry and soda from the bartender. He proceeds to walk through the bar to get back to his friends. 
During his fate-filled journey, a large drunken biker belonging to a one percent. Now, what's a one percenter club? Anybody know what that means? What are the one percenters? Man. If you meet a guy in a bar and he's got a one percenter patch on his biker jacket, what's he telling you? Yeah, I'm a criminal. I belong to the outlaws or the hell's angels or the vigilantes. Remember, only 1% of all the motorcycle riders commit all the crimes. And he's one of that 1%. All right, so please continue, Jordan. Yeah, it bumps into him. Tragically, Jordan spills his drink. Jordan spills his drink to the ground, and the biker just keeps on walking. Oh, my God. Then, as if on cue, the two hottest girls in the bar, in the bar began to giggle and look at him. Mike, Jordan feels, Jordan feels foolish. foolish. Disrespected and angry. Okay. He picks up a steak knife and stabs the biker in the chest. Wow, seriously, Jordan? Not my best decision. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Jordan. <laughs> you know, there's political feedback on that, too. They don't allow their own people to get stabbed like that. They really don't like that at all. All right, but go ahead. See, see what happens. <laughs> the biker drops to the floor and screams, What the fuck? Right. Mike stands over, or, well, I stood over, <laughs> shouting, You dirty old turd blossom. <laughs> yeah, right. Who writes this shit, by the way? I don't know who writes this shit. I don't know, man. I, I used to be very verbal back in the day. I don't know. Now you know never to fuck with Jordan. Jordan. Then he goes to jail and gets sentenced. Who's your judge, by the way, over there? Oh, Kavanaugh. Judge Kavanaugh asked Jordan. Uh, Jordan, have you anything to say about why you stabbed that man? Jordan smiles and says, The fucker made me spill my drink. Feel me? Yeah. <laughs> Judge Kavanaugh says, Wow, 10 years for you to figure that shit out. See ya. Wow, okay, that's what not to do, right? Now let's look at what to do, right? We're on the other side of that coin. All right. Using intelligence over emotions. All right. I am 10 days away <laughs> and decide to go to a local bar. And not drink. I meet up with trusted sober friends and get a cranberry and soda from the bar. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar. Okay. I proceed to walk through the bar and get back to my friends. During this fate-filled journey, a large drunken biker belonging to the 1% club bumps into me. Yeah, vigilante or highwayman. Tragically, I Renegade. spill my drink to the ground. Or he spills my drink to the ground. Then, as if on cue, the two hottest girls in the bar begin to giggle. Oh, boy. Jeez. <laughs> I feel foolish and disrespected and angry. I say to myself, I have been through so much shit in my life. I don't know this man. It could have been an accident. He means nothing to me. That's powerful, right? I don't. I don't know those dingbat broads. <laughs> right. They mean. That's a word from the fifties, doesn't it? Dingbats. Yeah, right. Broad. That's from the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to walk over to my friends, call it a night, and have my freedom. I like that one. That's a good. How about the very bottom there? Wow, choices. Thinking things through and recovery is, is gangster <laughs> shit. Recovery gangster shit, right? <laughs> Please stop playing checkers with your life and start playing chess. So any thoughts on this concept? This I over E and E over I'm glad you read that. <laughs> All right, so a little psychological little trick here. People always wonder, like, why does Raj use this dramatic language? Why does he use dramatic images, right? This is absolutely true. In Psychology 101, our professor was doing a PowerPoint presentation, and all of a sudden he had this really loud sound go off, right? And then he continued talking. Then he asked us the question about the presentation, and we all recalled the topic that was discussed when that loud sound went off. Then the professor says, do you realize that novel experiences and images and noises lock into your long-term memory? I'm like, bingo, right. So when I write stuff and I put images together, it's designed with a strategy to get into your long-term memory. And these stories are so dramatic, you're not going to forget that story. No. And so you want to apply this concept to yourself, you'll go, oh my God, remember that story about the drunken biker guy and all that? I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to stab anybody today. I want to turn and walk away and have my freedom. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So um, recovery gangster shit. Um, people mm -hmm. in marketing will co-op language, right? And so in rap music, there's a term called gangsta or being gangster, right? And so what does that mean? It's got a positive connotation to that culture, right? It's about being successful, bold, right? Up in your face, right? In, 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 a, in a power position, right? So why can't we, as people that are sober, be recovery gangsters, spiritual gangsters, having that same persona of being bold, doing the right thing, even when nobody's looking, not having a drink, even when we can get away with it, right? Mm -hmm. Is that making sense? So we're going to co-opt that language. That's why the t-shirt says, Detroit hustles harder, because hustles harder means what you want it to mean. It doesn't mean about selling drugs. It can be going to more meetings, doing that extra phone call, helping a newcomer to... You know, get sober. All that kind of stuff can be hustling harder. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm.
All right. We're going to do one more thing. Some of you guys have heard this song before. I apologize if you heard it before, but we're going to do it again. We're going to play one song, so don't worry. It's called Fortune Favors the Bold. I've been trying to create a theme song for all these ideas for a long time. I've been trying to write this song for like five years. And so six months ago, I was in the shower trying to figure out these lyrics, and all of a sudden it came to me. I ran out, wrote half of the song already down, and so I went to see my friend Greg Stryker. Greg Stryker used to be in the Greg Stryker band, and he's a successful musician, and he had a record deal and two hit songs on the radio. He wrote um, Eddie Money's most recent hit about being a soldier and coming back from war, and he's been on tour with Eddie Money as well. And so he had a drug problem, and I helped get him sober, and on his 10-month sober anniversary, he went to the studio on Labor Day, and he sang this song, okay? And so this song will be explained in the lyrics, and it's called Fortune Favors the Bold. And I think that Greg does a very nice job singing this song, okay? Can you play it? Can you sign I'm playing the guitar on this, and Greg's doing the singing. I guess. <laughs> guys think about this uh, fortune favors the bold song anybody can relate to these words that are in there yeah. any parts can I click Jennifer what do you think, oh, I think it's great. really but how about the lyrics any parts okay, of that where you can kind of identify with yeah good good um, it was really cool because Greg has 10 month anniversary when he was singing it and when he got to that part oh. I know the devil is close behind like we all mm -hmm. got to chill up our spine because he's been through a lot himself and so um, since I'm here, I can tell you what this, remember, music and poetry means whatever you want it to mean, right? So I'm going to just tell you what the chorus means and why I wrote it that way. So we're not going to lie about drugs and alcohol. They get you high, they make you feel good, 
We're not going to lie about that. So a few moments of ecstasy, yeah, drugs work. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any drug dealers floating around, right? But forget what you've been told, man, which means that th there's a lie behind this whole thing. It's an illusion. There's consequences. There's crying moms. There's felony charges, right? There's crash cars. There's people that, you know, never reach their full potential. There's all these things that nobody talks about. So stand back obviously means move away from that shit. And fortune favors the bold. Think about it this way. I'm not being mean, but any coward can get high. Anybody can smoke weed and drink alcohol to avoid dealing with life and life's feelings. It takes a great deal of courage to not use drugs and alcohol and deal with life on life's terms and not abuse things to take the edge off. It requires a great deal of courage. Remember the Buddhist view of... Uh, yeah, I'm looking yeah, at yeah. it. So the, the Buddhist, yeah, we'll vacuum later. But the Buddhist view is intoxication is the vocation of the frightened and scared. People that are afraid of adult roles, adult responsibilities, and adult feelings, adult relationships, Jennifer's freaking out, will hide themselves in intoxicants. Yes? Yeah, you will obviously listen to Red Hot Chili Uh huh. You need to listen to Snow and actually, like, read the lyrics. Okay. That's what I was doing when I was in rehab, because... I like printed it out and mm -hmm. stuff, and I was just like really like getting into it and like deeply understanding. He's completely talking about here. Yeah, he and, went like, through that too. He had a serious like, heroin addiction. Yeah, like, it's so much better. Like it's sweet. All right. Have you read his book? No, I haven't. Under the bridge, isn't there something like that? Uh, scar, scar tissue. tissue. Scar tissue. Okay. All right. So, what do you guys think? Is this helpful? Yes. All right. Okay. So we use. This. I'm going to go to different presentations. Families Against Narcotics. We're going to play it for the kids there. We're going to play it at high schools and colleges, and hopefully they can have a little bit of a positive recovery theme song. Right. I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank everybody for sharing. Please go out and do well. And we'll see you next week at seven o'clock. Yeah. Of course. Put that on.